Hey folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Uh, before we jump into the episode, I did want to tell you that we are doing a listener survey right now. So in the show notes, you can find a link to a survey where we just want to get some insights from listeners about what you're liking about the show, what you don't like about the show, what we can change, uh, anything you've seen in other shows you want to hear in our show. So if you don't mind, fill that out. We're going to be making some changes here soon and would love your input ahead of that. Also, for anyone that does fill it out, there's going to be uh, an, a, a little a little thank you at the end, you know. A little discount code you can use around the internet. So um, go ahead and do that. That would be a huge help, and we'd love to hear from y'all. So talking about today's episode, uh, we, we're, we're talking to Rob Hutchings, and Rob does a really cool thing. He does, oh, first of all, he does all kinds of adventures, but the one we're talking about today uh, is along the Clutha River in New Zealand, which is where he's joining us from. He's not from New Zealand, as we'll hear, um, but he decided to move there and jump headfirst into the adventure scene and do something that no one had ever done, which is swim almost five days down a river with rapids and basically backpack like a trail or bike tour, but on a river where you're swimming down the river, you get out and you camp, and then you go back in the next day and keep going. Um, obviously, he's not carrying all that gear on his back. He has someone helping him coordinate the gear. But nonetheless, it is a really cool concept. Uh, and also, if you're interested in his entire adventure story, he's a really good writer and wrote a book recently called Down River Nomad, uh, colon, a triathlete's adventures and adversities into the rapids. And uh, I, I bought it myself. So I, I don't always buy the book of the guest, but I bought this one and I've been reading it and I've really enjoyed it. He goes into his story, some of the adventures he's done. Cause you know, with this show that we have so many people who've done tons of adventures, but I like to focus on talking about one on the episode. It makes a really good episode when you can focus on one adventure. Uh, but frankly, a lot of these people probably have six or seven podcast episodes in them from adventures they've done. And Rob is one of those people. So uh, I encourage you to check that out. But yeah, let's hear more about what it was like to swim the Clutha in, uh, in New Zealand. So here we go. All right, folks, welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Uh, you heard a little bit about Rob's story in the intro, but Rob, I want to welcome you to the show. How are you doing? Great, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So, so you you said it's early in the morning for you. Where where are you coming from? Yeah, my accent won't give it away, but uh, I'm in Christchurch, New Zealand. Oh no, kid. Are you? Is that where you're from? Uh, no, I'm uh, from a town called Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, in Canada. But uh, I've had a bit of a nomadic life. I've lived in five countries: Australia, Britain, and uh, Singapore, briefly, and now uh, New Zealand. As far as I can tell, is my permanent home. <laughs> I hear great things about it, so not not a bad home to have. You, you see that for the foreseeable future. What what about New Zealand makes it? I don't know, maybe a step above the rest, or or is it just where you you feel like settling? Uh, it is where I feel like settling. I mean, I've had a you know pretty nomadic life, and um, I uh, still really really love adventure travel and uh, you know traveling in general. Um, but I've moved around so much. Um, the main reason is I just really really love New Zealand. Um, it's got everything I want on my doorstep here, you know, from the swimming and uh, mountain biking and all the alpine running that I do. Uh, there's huge numbers of mountains, rivers, and lakes, just, you know, easy access, you know, being a small country. Uh, but, you know, unlike Canada and the United States, uh, you know, it's just such a compact place and pretty easy to get to pretty much anywhere you want to go. 
And uh, I've lived here four years, and my search for an ugly place in New Zealand remains a failure. Everywhere I go seems absolutely spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> There's nowhere to go that that, that uh, isn't pleasing to the eye. That's, that's right. Never been, but that's what I hear. And, and we've had a lot of adventures on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that have, you know, run across New Zealand or biked across New Zealand. It's the same thing. It's just a very compact area of things to see and things to do. Yeah, it's a wonderful place to have adventures. The mountains are not quite as big as, say, the Rockies. New Zealand just has this amazing trail network and incredible places for marathon swimming. I mean, there's huge numbers of, uh, in a, such a small country, there's a large number of glacial lakes. And, of course, I'm into the river swimming. Um, and just the uh, fresh, pristine water that uh, runs out of the lakes and towards the ocean is just absolutely mind-boggling, and the scenery, you just can't beat it. Oh, man, that's awesome. Gosh, I'd love to go. So, so, so how did you end up there? Tell us a little bit about that. What, what, what is your nomadic lifestyle? What, what is that? Because you've mentioned that a couple times. Yeah, well, uh, like I said, I'm from a town called Cornerbrook, Newfoundland in Canada, and I started my triathlon days there, and my hometown just happens to have a really big triathlon. We've actually hosted the national championships in Canada twice, and a couple of times we hosted the ITU World Cup, that's the International Triathlon Union. But I'm a chiropractor, and I did my chiropractic education in England, and I've always just had this weird fascination with maps, and I just really, really love travel. It stems from my mother hanging this enormous map up in her dining room, and she used to play this map game with us, what she called it. She'd give me two letters, and the game was to find a country that begins with the first letter and a city within the country that begins with the second. So that gave me an early knowledge of geography, and I just have always retained this fascination with maps and decided when I was about five or six years old I was going to move to Australia because I wanted to see kangaroos and koalas. Well, that happened. And I have an Australian wife, and we lived in Australia together for 15 years. And after a brief stint in Singapore, we actually moved to New Zealand by accident. I was on the phone with a friend of mine who I work with. Uh, he runs the clinic that I work in in Christchurch. And he said he just told me casually he was looking for a new chiropractor and just sounded great. And I just said, that sounds fantastic. I'll do it. And we agreed. And shortly after, I hung up the phone and realized I'd offered to move to yet another country without consulting my wife. But <laughs> so, uh, uh, but very fortunately, she immediately thought that was a fantastic idea, and uh, and she she loves New Zealand as well. So uh, you know, and she picked up work, so it's it worked out really well. <laughs> no kidding. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that can get you in a lot of trouble moving to another country without consulting your spouse. Uh, I've never done yeah. that, but I, I, <laughs> my first piece of advice would be to tell them. But. It uh, worked out for you, worked out for the better. I, I, I definitely recommend consulting the wife before you uh, take a job offer. I mean, obviously, I could have backed out of it, but uh, as soon as I said it to her, um, my wife is, I'm very fortunate, she's one of the most chilled out women on the planet, and her exact reaction with her Australian twang, I said, hey, uh, honey, remember Jim, the guy I work with, he offered me a job in Christchurch, what do you think? And she goes, yeah, all right, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was no problem. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, I know a couple of Australians. That sounds very Australian. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Let's do that. <laughs> Too funny, man. She was just all, all down for it. That's, that's, that's awesome. So, so how long have y'all been there? And, uh, it sounds like you, you enjoyed it enough that you want to stick around. Yeah, I'm going to apply for citizenship. you got to be here five years to apply for citizenship. We've been here just over four now. We arrived in 2018. 
Uh, in retrospect, I probably would have moved here sooner, but really grateful for all the chapters of my life. But, you know, I've really enjoyed my time in Australia. For both my wife and I, uh, it's, it's turned into home. We, uh, we're both really at home here. The, uh, adventure, the adventure culture is amazing. And plus, uh, like Newfoundland, where I grew up, which is a lot of Irish and Scottish descent, good old-fashioned hospitality is very much alive and well here. And that is something that really appeals to me as well. I moved here in my 40s, so it's, uh, you know, um, really easy to make friends with all the runners and swimmers and, you know, triathletes. And, yeah, it was just really was the right move. <laughs> oh, that's too cool. Well, good for y'all. I'm happy to hear that uh, it, it's it's turned out to be such a good move. Well, 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 tell us a little bit about the adventures. Have you been doing these adventures all throughout all these places you've lived. Uh, I know you have a background in triathlons, but but tell it. Yeah, I guess, I guess start there. Tell us a little bit about your adventure background, how you got into these things. Was it first triathlons and then other things? What where did it start? Yeah, I mean, I was always a really active little kid, but most athletically untalented person on the planet. I uh, joke sometimes my genetics resemble a hippopotamus. Hey, them things can move though. Yeah, they can. Move. <laughs> they can. Uh, I didn't realize it, but uh, yeah, they're actually really fast swimmers and fast runners. So in a triathlon, your only chance of beating a hippo is on when you're on the bike. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, I the very brief uh, story is that uh, I tried baseball and basketball, and I, I, despite hard work, there's no chance I could be trained to aim a ball at a target. It just can't work. And uh, I like team sports. I'm just no good at them. And um, I started swimming. And uh, what I liked about swimming immediately uh, when I was in grade eight, I think I was uh, not quite 13 at the time, didn't matter if you weren't that good. You get to race. Like I was a bench warmer in basketball. You know, you get to participate when you're on the swim team. A couple of triathletes really caught my eye. And um, I went up to one of them. His name was Jamie Merrigan. He was the top junior in um, in my hometown at the time. And I realized he was a triathlete, and he was five years older than me, so when you're a teenager, that's a big age difference. So I went up to him with all the confidence I could muster and said, hey, I want to be a triathlete like you. And he was immediately really nice and took me under his wing, so to speak, and within a few years, you know, training together, like I could start to keep up with him. And a whole mess of the other triathletes in town formed a network there, and I was really competitive up until my late 30s doing triathlons of all distances. And I had adventures mixed in there, like we had a big trip to Mongolia and Bhutan and stuff like that. But when I moved to New Zealand, I felt my competitive nature kind of waning. And I still really love multi-sport and triathlon so I, and, and marathon swimming. So what I started doing was just making up my own adventures and just making sure I also see the beautiful sights that are around here rather than trying to get through it all every time as fast as possible. So, you know, when I'm running up a mountain, I'm quite, you know, happy to stand on top of the mountain for a while and soak it up. And recently I swam New Zealand's really iconic Milford Sound, which is a absolutely stunning fjord. And there was a couple of times in that uh, six-hour swim that I just had to stop and just marvel and look around at where I was and dolphins swimming around me. So still push the limits of endurance, but um, I... I still compete in the odd triathlon as well, but uh, just really more into the adventure multi-sport and often self-made adventures rather than, you know, uh, competition. So that's what I want to get into is taking the pieces of triathlon and turning them into kind of running with it or not literally swimming with it, not running with it. Uh, But tell us about 
some of these adventures of swimming, like you talk about the Milford Sound, when did you start focusing on just doing the swimming itself or some of your more, more recent adventures? Well, um, I, I, it's fair to say in triathlon, I was always a better swimmer and I was kind of a dual sport, you know, triathlon in itself is three sports, but I was also a marathon swimmer throughout my whole competitive time. So I really enjoy marathon swimming. And one of my, the only gripe I ever had with triathlon is the swim is relatively short in all the distances. So what I started doing was often making up these multi-day triathlons where I do a full, like I do a full day marathon swim, for example, in one of the big glacial lakes or in the fjord. Uh, like short, the day after the fjord swim that we did, you know, my wife and I went on a two-week cycle tour. And uh, so that's kind of a, you know, two-thirds of a triathlon. So I wanted to be, you know, do marathon swimming, but I didn't want to lose out on cycling and running, even though it's fair to say I'm better at swimming. And I just, you know, when I'm not in the water, I love being in the mountains. What I often do is make up a two- or three-day triathlon when I don't have a whole lot of, you know, vacation time. Uh, you know, might do a big marathon swim and then the next day, you know, e- either a bike or a run or sometimes a bike and run the second day. And, um, you know, when I have more time, I uh, make up uh, triathlon events and not necessarily in the correct triathlon order. It just depends on what the geography is at the time. And, um, you know, uh, doing, you know, five, six, seven day. And I have a theory that I'll one day swim New Zealand's Fovo Strait, which is right down at the bottom, Stewart Island, which is a really remote island off the coast of South Island. And there's a really big hiking track around there that would take you about, uh, there's one version of it that's five or six days and the other one's 11 or 12. So I thought, all right, well, swim the Fovo and then uh, do run or power hike the track, you know, afterwards. So that's the sort of adventures I've got in mind uh, going forward. And I've, you know, done a lot of that already. And I, I often do my swimming where a lot of triathletes won't venture, such as the rivers and in the glacial lakes where I found out I was the first one to cross them. I was a bit surprised I was the first one to cross a few of them. I didn't realize when I did it, but afterwards found out I was the first one to swim across what's called Lake Coleridge, which is an elevated glacial lake in the Canterbury High Country, and the second person to swim Lake Tekapo, which is a uh, 26K lake. Uh, a bit further south from Christchurch, and just absolutely, you know, crystal blue water. It's hard to describe just how beautiful these places are. Yeah, what what, what I'm so interested to learn more about is what gives you, I don't know, the confidence. It seems really scary to move somewhere new and to swim across these lakes. Is there any real danger when it comes to swimming in the lakes in particular? I know the glaciated lakes, maybe not so much, but anything to worry about? Or are you just confident enough it's in, in the bays as well? Well, in the, uh, I'll get to the rivers shortly. But in the in the in the in the lakes, I mean, one thing about New Zealand, uh, I often joke that it's like Canada without the bears. And um, you know, the, the wildlife in New Zealand is actually really tame. Like, I mean, it's a really rugged, mountainous, you know, alpine country. But there's nothing out here that thinks you look like lunch. So in the lakes, you know, there's nothing dangerous in the lakes. I mean, obviously, you got to be careful with you know, uh, keeping warm, uh, in my case, being a redhead with freckles, you know, from Newfoundland, Canada, where the sun comes out a handful of times a year, I got to be careful with sun protection. I've made friends with a lot of kayakers. And the way that started was, you know, when I first moved, I was like, you know, let's go in these Facebook groups that I joined that are, you know, just adventure groups, trail running and, and the like, and there's lots of kayakers in New Zealand. So I just said, Hey, I want to swim across Lake Coleridge. That seems like a good idea. Anyone willing to support me? And uh, I mentioned the hospitality culture of New Zealand, and it just seemed really, really easy to get kayak support. So every time I go swim across a big lake, I mean, 
you know, I'll have uh, kayak support. And, uh, you know, one of the cool things about making up your own self-made adventures is, you know, there's no entry fee. It was actually my wife. Uh, you know, I've done these uh, fairly expensive adventures in the past. You know, we'll keep doing that now and again. There's only so many, you know, really expensive things you can do each year. You know, my wife said to me on our first trip to Lake Tekapo, uh, we were just down there having fun. I uh, wasn't there for a, for a swim that, uh, that particular time. And she said, look, if you swam across that, that would be amazing. And would you have a worse time than if you spent lots of money and all it would cost you to swim across that is a hotel room and buy your kayak support or a pizza. And uh, that seemed very logical to me. And that's what I've been doing. <laughs> and, you know, when I'm doing marathon swims, most of the people around here aren't generally crazy enough to want to swim where I do. A few of them are, but uh, now and again, I get someone else to swim with me. Um, but, uh, the, you know, it's no problem to get for the mountain biking and the trails uh, in the mountains. We I mean, plenty of people in New Zealand do that. So I've made lots of uh, alpine friends. So often uh, I'll be there the day before them for an alpine run. And I've just done a swim the day before. And then we go out, you know, running up places like Avalanche Peak and what's called the edge track, and it's called the edge for a reason, you know, and uh, stuff like that. Wow, that's too cool. I love that <laughs> it was your wife's. Uh, you, you gave you, you gave her a really good idea. She gave you a really good idea. So, so, so yeah. for you, how do you um, what you know? It says it says that you've you, you've transitioned more into doing uh, these adventure based things versus organized events. Do you, do you find it as you get older more rewarding to do things that you plan and execute yourself, and maybe you're the only person doing? versus an event with potentially thousands of people. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I still like doing uh, the occasional event, but uh, what I found is that my preference for all the endurance sport is, uh, you know, taking something that anywhere between three to three to seven days long is my preferred length. You know, I don't often get a crazy amount of holiday time, but, uh, you know, when I get longer holidays, I often do cycle touring after doing a marathon swim. And my wife and I cycle tour together and hiking as well, which we call tramping down in New Zealand, by the way. Uh, we used to think it was called hiking or trekking, but it turns out the language is tramping down here. Yeah, I found a lot of satisfaction in doing these self-made organized adventures. Often I'm the only or one of the only people to ever do it, and specifically the rivers that I swim down, most notably uh, New Zealand's most powerful river, which is 256 kilometers long. Can't translate that into miles for you, but it took five days to do. And uh, the Buller River and the Waimakuri River Gorge, I'm the only one to ever swim those particular rivers. The Clutha River, this, that swim took me a long time to train for and a long time to organize, and um, getting the logistics right for that. River swimming isn't quite as simple as just jumping in a river and going for it. I mean, there's a lot of safety and a lot of logistics to coordinate, and it was very, very satisfied to do that. So, yeah, it's fair to say I, I prefer, to, even though it's a lot of work, organizing these adventures myself gives me a lot of satisfaction, you know, just having pulled it off. And then, of course, you know, seeing all the sights I do when I'm doing them. And, of course, I still have that endurance sport, love pushing the limits of endurance. So that's that's what I've been mainly focused on with the occasional competition thrown in there. You're just living the lifestyle. I love it. Absolutely yeah. <laughs> love it. Too cool. I want to jump into the Clutha River adventure. That one it seemed like a really daunting thing to plan, daunting thing to pull off. Like you said, 256 kilometers, which is around a 160 miles of river 
swimming. Tell us about that river because I know you said it's the most powerful or like the, the, the strongest river in New Zealand, second longest river in New Zealand. What, what are you yeah. saying when you say it's the, the strongest river and what does that mean to swim through it? Because it sounds dangerous, but you tell us the planning aspect of ensuring you were going to be able to actually physically do this. Well, river swimming was born with me. I actually did an event, which was, you know, only a handful of people did it. There's uh, down in the Fjordland, uh, which is the southeast corner, there's a river called the Waiau River, which is about 22 or 23K long. And that was my first river swim that I did in 2000. And I can't remember if it was 18 or 19 off the top of my head. That particular river was actually a filming site for the Lord of the Rings. I don't recall the name of the river in the movie, but uh, that was the filming site. So I thought, you know, well, I got to go swim that. And I just caught the river swimming bug immediately. Then after that particular event was over, um, I asked the race director, because I was still, you know, new in New Zealand. I asked him, you know, what other rivers here are deep enough to swim in in New Zealand? And I hadn't actually seen the Clutha at that time. He told me, you'd probably get away with swimming the upper 40K of the Clutha. But, you know, he said, yeah, it's probably too long to think about swimming the whole length of it. And I said, okay, we'll see about that. And uh, then my next move was to call the, uh, what they call the Harbour Master. I'm not sure if we, uh, if we call them Harbour Masters, but the aquatic managers in different regions, they're called Harbour Masters in New Zealand. I'm not sure if we called them that in North America, can't remember. But uh, I called him and, you know, with my accent, of course, uh, he just thought I was probably the dumbest tourist to ever call him. And um, I said, hey, I got this idea. I want to swim from the town of Wanaka, which is a beautiful alpine town where the Clutha River has its outlet uh, from the beautiful Lake Wanaka. And I want to swim all the way to the Pacific. And I think it'll take five or six days to do that. What do you think? And he literally said that would be impossible and only an idiot would try it. Um, so I hung up the phone and said, well, okay, well, I'm that kind of idiot. I'll see if we can give this a go. Did he tell you why, did he tell you why he thought it was impossible? No one had ever done it. No one had probably even thought of it. And there's a lot of rapids. There's, you know, a lot of twists and turns and, you know, there's nothing in there that's going to eat you. Like there's no dangerous wildlife. But I guess he thought that, uh, you know, no swimmer would ever think to swim through rapids Kiwis call it the mighty Clutha, and there's a good reason for that. Like, I mean, there are there are quiet sections of the Clutha, like pretty much every river. There's, you know, there's sections where it's pretty tame, but the 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 rougher sections and the hairpin bends, the giant whirlpools. There's a place called Devil's Nook that's appropriately named, and that's the place where all the kayak tourists, not all, more kayak tourists need to be rescued at Devil's Nook than anywhere else on the Clutha. So basically river swimming, it, it is a thing. I mean, other people have swam other rivers and I got lots of plans to swim, you know, rivers around the world, I hope. Yeah, you might think it's easy because you're going with the current, uh, but river swimming, because your arm is actually going against the oncoming current as you're doing your stroke, it's actually harder work. Plus, you had to be ready to sprint because, like most endurance sport, you're aiming to hold a you know pretty constant pace the whole time you're going. But in river swimming, because you got to dodge rocks, you got to get through rapids, you got to you know sprint to the left, sprint to the right, to get around twists and turns and sprint out of the whirlpools uh, and the undertows, things like that. Um, you know, you're doing an endurance sport event. In my case, the Clutha took five days, four and a half actually. You know, it is something that uh, for big sections of it, it's not just going at a constant pace. You're uh, you're sprinting. So 
the Harbor Master was right that it would be a very daunting task, and if you weren't really prepared, it, you know, it would be extremely dangerous. Uh, but with my years of marathon swimming, and I've always just really loved rough water swims. Most triathletes, when they show up to the lake or the ocean or you know wherever the swim's being held, if there's either a bit of chop in the water, most triathletes are moaning. And I just actually really love rough water swimming. I always loved rough water oceans and big, pardon me, big chops out in the lake. So when I got into river swimming, swimming through rapids, just yeah, it just felt like home. Uh, I just had this weird comfort in rough water, and I don't really find it daunting at all. I mean, obviously, there's a limit to that. I mean, you wouldn't swim down the most powerful grade five rapids in the world or anything like that. Uh, but the Clutha has grade three. My kayakers, I had one kayaker scouting ahead, and uh, he had a VHF radio, and a kayaker who was with me, you know, pretty much right next to me the whole time. You know, he'd say, right, there's a big rapid coming up, push him to the left, push him to the right, or, you know, there's a left turn or there's a rock we got to dodge, go to the river right. And then she'd relay those instructions to me and then, you know, did whatever they told me to and had, you know, really good team with me. And you wouldn't do this sort of thing alone. I mean, I, I do think that if I jumped in the river by myself, it that would be foolish. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Um, but uh, with the kayak support and my wife drove the support uh, van, and she was in constant communication with the kayakers the whole time, except for a few of the remote sections where there wasn't radio signal. And yeah, I mean, it was just an absolutely incredible adventure. And I mentioned that Wanaka is an alpine town. And now that New Zealand's opening up again after, you know, COVID and all that, I'd certainly recommend if you're going to come to New Zealand, think about coming to Wanaka nearby Queenstown if you're, if you're an adventurer. And uh, yeah, it's just really diverse because you start in an alpine territory and there's two gorges you swim through and what's called the Roxburgh Gorge. If there was a river on the moon, that would what it would be look like, uh, you know, just completely different than what you see in the alpine territory. And then as you approach the Pacific, the river, uh, you know, it's through uh, rolling hills and just absolutely stunning scenery the whole time that you're going. But it's, but it, but it's very different. Like I say, starting with alpine through gorges, rolling hills, you know, vineyards, you know, it's, it's just absolutely unreal. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so I've got to ask this, um, crazy idea. It's definitely a crazy idea to swim the whole river. I, I I've never really talked to anybody that did that on this show. Maybe we have, but not, not that I recall. One of my questions was going to be, what, how did you have support? And that's, you answered that with having a kayaker up ahead and then one next to you kind of relaying. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, what, what, what I was surprised by was hearing that it's harder to paddle because you're pulling against the current when you're on your backstroke. Are you able to at all use the momentum of the river? Obviously, you're floating, but how much is that helping you versus how much you have to actually do yourself? I mean, obviously, you go fast uh, because, yeah. you know, I mean, there's there's the river current. But uh, the the amount of hard work you're doing, I mean, you could theoretically float down the river, but that's not what I wanted to do. So, yeah, I mean, like I say, when you're doing freestyle, you know, your arm is going against the oncoming current as you're doing your stroke underwater. So that is, relatively speaking, harder work. And like I say, the sprinting in there, that uh, that adds to the hard work really uh irregular times so um you know the way you feel after you've had a, a swim like that is very different than for example swimming across a lake where the water's not moving or at worst a headwind that you might have like i say it's it people did ask me 
are you going up or down river? And I always joked that I found it a bit flattering that there would be people that think I could go upstream against the Clutha. I mean, Michael Phelps couldn't do that. But uh, yeah, swimming down river, I, I just find absolutely great fun. And like I say, if I mean, in a straight river, I mean, obviously you can float down, but I mean, if you were not that strong a swimmer, you wouldn't float down the Clutha because there's just so many twists and bends. If you if you weren't a good swimmer and in terms of you know being able to sprint whatever you wanted, you'd, you'd smash into the um, into the riverbanks or into rocks or something like that. There's you you wouldn't be just you, no one sits in the river in the Clutha and just floats down. So. Was there a moment that was close for you about a close call and and maybe could have potentially ended the trip? Honestly, like the, the, the one that I was a bit nervous about was Devil's Nook. And that was maybe three, two or three hours into the, into the swim on the first day. And uh, like I say, that's the point where, you know, there's lots of kayak tourists in New Zealand. And, you know, the kayakers who know what they're doing don't usually get in trouble there. But they sometimes do. But the ones who aren't that experienced often have to get rescued there. So, you know, even an inexperienced kayaker is going to be faster than a swimmer, even a reasonably good one. Uh, so smashing into the wall there was quite a concern, but my uh, my support kayaker guided me right into the exact line that I wanted to go to, and it worked perfectly. It was probably the couple hundred meters that I was sprinting was that was probably my favorite couple hundred meters of swimming I've ever done. And then uh, shortly after that, there was the biggest rapids I'd ever swam through. And when I looked up, my lead kayaker, I actually overheard him because I was stopped eating an energy gel. He uh, he came over the radio and he said uh yeah get uh, get ready for a really really big rapids this one's a little bigger than we thought and as i was you know looking up doing my head up freestyle heading into the rapid i was like oh this could be a lot of fun or it could go wrong but honestly when i was getting tossed about by the river you know it's, it's a survival thing and you just go with it i was having a lot of fun and there was there was never any danger and then there was two or three whirlpools i had to get get out of when you get caught in a whirlpool, I've figured out in previous river swims that what you do is you, uh, when you're doing freestyle, you know, heading down river, you flip over onto your back, let it, let it toss you about a little bit, and then uh, sprint like mad. After you've gotten on your back for, uh, I can't really work out the hydrodynamics of it, but I worked out to get out of a whirlpool, allow it to spin you, flip on your back. As you come out again, like, uh, you know, coming towards the front of the whirlpool, then you flip over on your belly and sprint sprint to high heaven. And depending on the whirlpool, and there's a lot of big ones in the Clutha, you know, you'd be sprinting for a good 30 seconds to a minute or so. Like I say, if you've been swimming for hours, that <laughs> you've done that repeatedly, that starts to be a big deal. You know, it gets fatiguing, of course. Take us through finishing this experience. You said four and a half days you're obviously, you got a couple kayakers with you, and I, I'm, I'm sure they were excited about the opportunity, too, to paddle the entire Clutha River. Not sure if they had done that before, but what were you doing to kind of recover each day? And, were you know, I, I assume camping at night or stopping pre-planned stops or just kind of seeing how far you'd get? We had pre-planned stops, and this was one of the things because, you know, you don't know the exact, because no one had ever done it. It took me a long time to map out where I was planning on stopping each each day. And the format was I'd swim for several hours in the morning, get out and have lunch, and wait for about an hour, hour and a half, and then get back in and swim. So I was swimming about eight hours or so, give or take, each day. I got the exact distance that I wanted to pretty much every day. Like, I, I was prepared that there might be, you know, when it was time to get out, you know, I might have to go downriver to the hotel and then come back to the, you know, the same point I got out, you know, and start the next day or backtrack 
but that actually never needed to happen. I, uh, except for the last day, I planned to swim 88 kilometers, and uh, we were starting to run out of daylight, so I only got 84. Yeah, so except for that, uh, the last day, I didn't need to do any backtracking. We, uh, that's partly due to experience, but uh, but also a very welcome fluke uh, that I happen to get that right every time. <laughs> Are you more impressed with your ability to swim the river or to plan this whole trip? Because I know it took like almost a year to plan. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, if for me, like, I mean, I've had, uh, you know, I describe a few of them in my book, uh, more than a few. I've had no shortage of adventure mishaps. I mean, most were comedic, some were a bit dangerous, and some were not so good at all. For me, because I've had my share of mishaps, and in retrospect, most of them were funny. I was a bit concerned that this would be the most dangerous adventure that I'd be on, and the fact that I was the first one to ever do it. I was concerned that something catastrophic could go wrong, and I was prepared, you know, at any time that, you know, we'd have to call it off. I mentally prepared myself that, you know, maybe I'd get one or two days in, and if we had a storm or, you know, something like that, well, we wouldn't be able to finish. But the weather smiled on me the whole time and there wasn't any problem with that but yeah it was one of those adventures that i was really surprised nothing except for a few funny little things that didn't matter uh nothing went wrong and for me i i did have confidence that i'd be physically able to do it uh with my years of triathlon background and all the adventuring i've done but it was the logistics that i was more concerned about and fortunately i gave myself plenty of time so it's fair to say I'm probably equally pleased with myself that I logistically planned it and nothing went wrong as I did, you know, uh, as I am pleased with myself that I was able to actually physically do it. And, and I assume that uh, you were pretty grateful to the two kayakers for taking the time out of their lives and, and, and get this done. It seems like quite a quite an adventure for them, too. Yeah, I mean, they were keen kayakers. And, you know, as soon as they heard from... Uh, you know, on the Facebook messages that I put up saying, hey, this is my idea. They messaged me and uh, we got to know each other and they were absolute professionals. And one of them was an emergency room nurse and both were highly trained kayak instructors, both, you know, flat water and white water and, uh, you know, emergency rescue and stuff like that in kayaks. So they really knew what they were doing. Uh, but fortunately, uh, except for their paddling skills, I didn't need them to, to use any of their rescue skills. Uh, there was no point. I mean, I was prepared at some points where, you know, we had safety plans for if I get stuck in a rapid or a whirlpool, they'd come fish me out and pull me to safety. But fortunately, uh, you know, with the training I did and the sprinting and the comfort in the rough water uh, that I had, that was never necessary. Tell us about the process of writing a book for this. You know, it, it obviously was a big enough experience for you to want to tell a bigger story about it. When did you decide to write a book and, and tell us maybe some things that are in the book? Yeah, well, uh, my book is called Downriver Nomad. And to be honest, uh, writing a book is something I've wanted to do for a very long time. Uh, I've always had it in the back of my mind at some point, I'm going to write a book. Probably my mom's an English teacher. So that's probably where that you know love of writing comes from. And, you know, as I got more into my triathlon and marathon swimming and racking up no shortage of funny stories and meeting all these interesting characters that I've met all over the world, uh, I thought, you know, I'll write a book someday. And the barriers to that, you know, were, you know, I'm not, I'm a, it's fair to say I'm a reasonably good swimmer, but I'm not an elite athlete. Like, I'm not a former Olympian or anything like that. And uh, one of the barriers I had mentally was, well, you know, who'd write a book, who'd read a book about little old me? And then, 
I think it was 2019, uh, my wife published her first book, and that was an inspiration. I finished the Clutha, and I thought, you know, one of the thoughts I had as we were having a pizza celebration after we finished the last day, I thought, you know, this would make a really epic conclusion to an adventure biography. And then scarcely a month later, we had the first COVID-19 lockdown. And when I realized on the second day that, you know, they weren't kidding, and uh, we were really, really were going to be locked down. I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to become Netflix, not going to become a Netflix junkie. Uh, uh, sat down, and you know, my lockdown experience. The first seven weeks were as a pretty harsh lockdown here in New Zealand. Uh, that first one, we were allowed to go out. So, uh, you know, I'd spend about two or three hours a day cycling or running, and uh, another hour or so doing yoga. And the rest of the time there during that seven weeks was I, I got the habit of writing. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I wrote my story starting in triathlon and a lot of the challenges I've had, like, uh, as I was finding my feet in the sport, my, my father went off the rails and he's, uh, unfortunately succumbed to alcoholism and drug abuse and turned pretty violent. And, um, one of the shifts that I had in my life and, you know, was a particular triathlon in Nova Scotia, Canada, where I had my first physical fight with him because he attacked me and, a few days later, I was standing on the start line, you know, wondering how that was going to affect me and, you know, what direction my own life was going to go. And just in that moment, I just decided, right, I can either be, uh, you know, succumb to that path and, or I can try to be the best triathlete I can. And I, uh, that was the first time I did really well in a triathlon. I just said, you know, to myself, you know, F it, I'm leaving everyone behind. And I didn't think I'd stand a chance at age 17 against the top guys in the, on the bike and the run, but I knew I was becoming a good swimmer. Basically what happened was I annihilated everyone in the swim and only the top pro triathlete passed me and I nearly ran him down and that was uh, a big shift in my life. So I wrote all about that. So I'd gone from, you know, my first triathlon, which I described in detail, which is pretty comedic because you know, it was an unmitigated disaster because I didn't know what I was doing at age 13. And uh, 13 so, years you old, know, wow. a few years later that happened and yeah, I went on to describe going to the national championships, and um, I went to the world world championships in Perth, Australia, at age twenty one. Yeah, and then I just ended up describing a lot of my other adventures, including a uh, a really wild trip to Mongolia, my wife and I did, and you know, going to Bhutan and Ironman across the outback, where you know I got approached by a brown snake while I was changing a flat tire, you know, and then. Uh, <laughs> describe my shift to adventuring but one thing that happened during my time in Australia I wasn't sure if I was going to write about this in my book but my wife and I were unable to have children and I wrote about it but not sure that I was going to put it in my book and uh, we had a failed adoption uh, attempt that took over five years and the reason I decided to include it in a book about an endurance sport was that five-year process was uh, what I've described as the only endurance endeavor that ever really that was the first time I ever gave up uh, well it, it wasn't giving up it was forced upon us we had to because we were going bankrupt and a variety of other reasons why uh, we were no longer eligible to adopt uh, because uh, we were trying to adopt from overseas and a federal judge in one of the countries we tried to adopt from shut the program down because of corruption which is valid we I described that process as well it was shortly after that that I you know, realized I was not, I mean, I, I'm not feeling as competitive as I used to. Part of that might be that, you know, not 21 anymore. 
but uh, part of it was uh, having had adventures in places like Mongolia and Bhutan. I was just craving more adventure than chasing best times. Combination of probably not going to get best times anymore. And having done triathlons of all distances and all that, yeah, I thought that was a story to tell. So much like being a triathlete who was, you know, I held my own in a lot of events, but I was never the world champion. I asked myself when I sat down to write the book, if I know for a fact I'm not going to make money by doing this, do I still want to? And turns out the answer was yes. So I set a joke goal for myself, right? The goal is to have seven people not name my mother read it. Turns out, well, you know, uh, I didn't have any illusions of New York Times bestseller or anything, but a lot more than seven people have read it. And, well, a lot of people have given me really good feedback. So uh, really proud of the work and started to write my second book. <laughs> well, tell us about the second <laughs> book then. What, what does that entail? Uh, it's in the early days. And one thing I can say is that when you sit down to write a book, what you think you're going to write isn't always what you actually write. I mean, I did intend to write about the Clutha and stuff, but I mean, I didn't intend to include the childless, uh, childless thing. Uh, but I'm really fascinated with uh, building up resilience and overcoming, um, you know, um, life challenges. And I've I just been doing a lot of reading about resilience and you know, in, in certain circles, resilience seemed to be lacking in society these days. So, you know, a lot of people uh, looking for increased safety, and I'm just not convinced that uh, you can make yourself as safe as possible. And I just think that at some point, you know, life becomes chaotic and sometimes can be catastrophic. Um, so um, the theory that I have about writing my next book is uh, writing more adventures that I've been doing since the Clutha. Um, and, uh, I think I'm going to interview a whole bunch of endurance athletes in New Zealand, ranging from marathon swimmers to triathletes and adventurers and stuff like that, and talk to them about whatever story they've overcome. And I'm interested in subjects like, you know, alcoholism, whether it's a family member or themselves, because obviously I had personal experience with my father with that, you know, and overcoming grief, overcoming, you know, some severe trauma, things like that. And, uh, yeah, just tying that into another book about, uh, you know, um, how endurance sport and adventures can help you uh, move on after you've had a trauma or, you know, uh, in, in whatever way. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I've just become really fascinated with the uh, reading about resilience and I've been listening to a lot of audio books on the subject and reading about it. And, um, yeah, so that's uh, – it's going to take me at least a year or more to write that, but because um, I work full time plus I venture full time. Um, but yeah, that's the theory that I've got to write for the next one. But um, I was really happy with my book Downriver Nomad. Um, you know, Downriver obviously for the obvious reasons of swimming the Clutha and my nomadic life. But um, uh, one thing I described was that um, I think river swimming for me became like a metaphor for life because. Uh, like different parts of your life, there's, you know, smooth waters and then there's rapids and then there's whirlpools and then there's, um, you know, you never know what's coming and you just got to adapt to the twists and turns uh, that uh, that's thrown at you. But in the end, we don't actually control anything. And, um, you know, you can't control a river flow. And one thing that happened just, I think it was three weeks out from before I did the Clutha, we had a severe storm in New Zealand and, um, uh, we weren't sure up until a few days before that the, the waters were going to subside because uh, the Clutha the normally flows at around 600 cubics, which is cubic meters of water per second. And uh, the kayakers canceled their tours at 800 cubics. 
uh, because of danger. And uh, the storm uh, that we had, we had so much water, the Clutha got up to 3,200 cubics. Um, so, you know, it could have been, the whole swim could have been called off. Yeah, it could have been called off before, you know, that would have been a suicide mission. I would never have done that. So, uh, you know, just realizing with river swimming, like uh, I've had a lot of river swims since then that, you know, like I swam the Buller River for the second time. And, you know, I had to reschedule that seven weeks in a row because, you know, first the river was running actually too low, it was too shallow, didn't have enough rain. And then we had too much rain and then my kayaker got COVID. And then, uh, you know, there was seven weeks before I did it for the second time uh, back in January. And uh, so it just really became apparent to me that, you know, swimming a river was like swimming through my life. Uh, so I described that um, a lot in my book. And uh, while I couldn't quote the song, uh, I found out as you was writing a book, you're not allowed to quote song lyrics without written permission for the artist. And uh, But there's a song that was popular when I was a teenager. Uh, well, you know, uh, Garth Brooks sings a song called The River. And um, well, I, was, I think I was 16 or 17 when that became, when he first released that. And uh, I, it always spoke to me. One of the lyrics that he had uh, was, don't you sit up on the shorelines and say you're satisfied choose to chance the rapids and dare to dance the tide. That really spoke to me when I was a teenager. And then fast forward 30 years, uh, that's literally what I was doing on the Clutha. Garth Brooks, now you're speaking my language. <laughs> I'm from the South. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah, funny enough, I'm, I'm recording this in my truck right now. Yeah. And uh, the only albums in my CD player, because they're the only CDs I still have, are Garth Brooks. <laughs> yeah. I've got a five space cd player every one of them is a garth bricks album so you're speaking my language that's awesome i know the song i know what you're talking yeah. about and i tell you what I, I i love the idea of the river being life you know I, I this is all i try not to talk too much i let the guests talk but i gotta tell you i treat this show a lot like a river anytime someone asks me the philosophy of a podcast i say just be like water you know you you go mm -hmm. down you you flow down a lot of people are talking about the summit all the time going towards that summit being the one on top i was like I, you know i just treat it like a river let it flow i let the conversations go where they go and try to direct it try to avoid pitfalls try to avoid rapids um same thing with just how i operate it and how i try to live so uh, it's interesting to hear that you, you, you see that those same connections too. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm obviously on a much deeper level than I do. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like I say, I've always had a, the love of the water and for, you know, that song really spoke to me, you know, 30 odd years ago, whenever it came out, don't know the exact year, but I remember being a teenager and, uh, you know, when that came out and, uh, you know, not being from the Southern States, being from Canada, I, uh, you know, a number of my friends used to make fun of me for listening to Garth Brooks. Uh, but, um, you know, I didn't mind. I'm quite happy to be a nerd. Yeah, I still have that song, you know, like you. I, <laughs> um, I listen to it regularly. And um, I, like I say in my book, I wanted to quote the lyrics, but I found out that was illegal without written permission. So I did email his agent, but the agent never got back to me. I'm reasonably confident Garth would have uh, given me permission had he got the message, but he never did. Oh, yeah. I know he's pretty particular of his uh, song licenses, but uh, I tell you what, he, I think he would have been, I think he'd have been okay with it. But, uh, well, well, Rob, tell us a little bit about, um, before we close out, just, is there a quick story or something you could share about why adventure is so important for anyone to pursue, not just a full-time triathlete or, you know, someone that 
get sponsored to do this. Uh, but for someone like you that has a full-time job that lives, has lived all over the world, why is it important for us to have these goals and have these things uh, that we aspire to that where we might be the only person in the world doing this? One of the mentalities I uh, found when I was, particularly when I was living in Brisbane, I, for whatever reason, the crowd that I seem to be associated with the, during the few years I lived in Brisbane in Australia uh, it's, it's, they seem to have this mentality of, you know, they want it to be the best, they want it to be the greatest, and if you weren't going to be the best, and if you weren't going to, you know, do the greatest thing ever, you know, why bother, you know, sit down and go home? And I always found that a bit troubling. Like, uh, I've, I've, I was talking to a mate of mine who I was running with one day, and, you know, he said that he was going to go trek to base camp there, you know, at Everest. And I just made a joke. I said, there's no way you can just trek to base camp without trying to climb Everest. And he goes, yeah, I'm probably going to come back and be a mountain climber. And I just asked him, do you want to be a mountain climber? And he said, no, but it's just the biggest, baddest thing that's out there. So I said, so why would you want to climb Everest if you don't want to climb mountains? And, and it was just about, you know, taking off a list rather than actually a genuine love of it. So, you know, I, I just really encouraged what I tried to get across in my book was I hope I inspire a few people to, if you're not going to be the biggest, biggest, and you're not going to be the best, and maybe not going to be the only one to ever do anything, uh, do something, I should say, uh, you know, just go out and do it anyway. I mean, if the mountain's already been climbed a thousand times, go do it anyway. And I just think that, you know, I mentioned my fascination with resilience that I've started to write about. You know, in modern society, I think we've gotten so comfortable that a lot of people are miserable. And I mean, it, there's no one answer to having a happy life that's free of depression or anything like that. But um, I think that having a challenge and having a worthy goal and having, uh, you know, not necessarily a goal, but like just something that's really hard sitting in front of you, whether that's climbing a mountain, whether that's running a marathon or doing a triathlon, or in my case, swimming a river or just anything that you can think of. And it doesn't matter whether it's the 2K swim at the beach or the, uh, you know, the 5K runner or, you know, the Boston Marathon or the Hawaii Ironman. Just putting something out there that's in front of you that you don't necessarily know you can do, something that's hard, worth striving for, I just think it gives people, you know, a lot of focus, a lot of discipline. And uh, when you do something that you didn't know you could do, I just think a lot of satisfaction and, you know, good things carry over into all the other parts of your life. And if you can, you know, transfer some of that discipline that it takes to, do an endurance sport or an endurance adventure of any kind, I think that gives you a lot of tools to have a life uh, that you really enjoy. And uh, I think a lot of people want to set themselves up for an easy cruise through life. And, you know, and I just don't think that's possible. I think that's an unrealistic expectation because, you know, there's a quote uh, that I that I really like. It's It's about the ocean, not a river. But, you know, life is like the ocean. You know, you're smooth sailing one day and you're smashing on the rocks the next. And then it's what you do when you're trying to avoid smashing on the rocks and having an endurance sport goal or, you know, an adventure goal that you uh, strive towards. It gives you the tools you need, I think, in many instances at least, to uh, keep going when life just is not going your way and something from mildly upsetting to catastrophic. So, yeah, that's that's my take on why do any endurance challenge, whether you're going to be the first second or a thousandth person to do it i think it's uh, it's worth doing if it's if it's if it's a challenge follow-up question because that, that, that makes me that's very interesting <laughs> i know we got to go soon but do, do, do you think because you have, I, we hear a lot about you know adventure teaches you the tools you know the, the tools you need to get through things in life do you think having an adventure a long-term one especially like 
almost a year of planning and execution like this, the, the, this uh, river expedition for you. Do you think that helps you kind of smooth over those turbulent times as well as far as anything that might happen within that year? Because you have this goal in mind, like say something bad happens at work or you lose a family member or something, can that not only give you the tools to get through those times before and or after the experience, but also while you're preparing for it? Absolutely, because uh, I mean, you know, basically, I think that human beings, by nature, I think we need something to aim for, and uh, I think people can get confused. You know, if you aim up, that means you have to aim to be the best, and if you don't end up being the best, it wasn't worth it. And I think that's a big mistake. But just having something to aim for, you know, some kind of sense of purpose and some kind of sense of accomplishment, when things go sideways, you know, like whether it's dealing with a loss of a loved one or, you know, just lose your job or, you know, something really crappy happens, you know, COVID, for example, you know, a lot of people had, you know, mental health crises during lockdowns. And, you know, I mean, I didn't find it easy, you know, when we were locked down here, having something to aim for in my case was writing a book and also ingrained habit of riding my bike, running or swimming or doing yoga gives you a sense of purpose when you can't go out and do the normal things. Love it, Rob. I love it. I, I totally agree. So, you know, now that you realize you can swim rivers for hundreds of miles, what's next for you as far as the next big adventure, or is there one yet? Uh, there's lots. I've got a six-day triathlon planned in Wanaka. We're going to swim the Upper Clutha twice, which is 44K, and we're going to run a lot of the mountain tracks and, I mean, the alpine running tracks and hiking tracks in Wanaka, you know, being up on top of the beautiful mountains, looking down on the crystal blue Lake Wanaka is going to be amazing, and doing the mountain bikes. Uh, so we're going to do a six-day triathlon in Wanaka. I mentioned that I'd like to swim the Fovo Strait and then run around the Stewart Island track. I think it's called the Rakiura track, if I remember correctly. One of the things I never did when I was living in my hometown, uh, there's a river that flows uh, into my hometown. It's called the Humber River. And I would compare the size of that to the Clutha. It's not quite as long, but uh, the current strength and all that would be pretty similar. So I've actually got a goal to go back to my hometown and, uh, and swim that. And I actually made a homemade documentary of my Clutha River Swim. It's on YouTube. If you just search YouTube Clutha River Swim, you can watch a 52 or 53-minute, and I stress that it's homemade, not Netflix, uh, you know, level documentary. I mean, it was a set of strung together out of our GoPro. But, yeah, I made that, and uh, about 3,000 people have watched that, and including a guy in Colorado and uh, another guy in Utah. They saw it, and they've invited me over when – just when I save up some money for uh, international travel, now that we can do that again, to swim some of the Canyonlands uh, through Utah and, and Colorado. So that's uh, that's a goal I've got in mind as well. Oh man, that'll be beautiful. Yeah, so I, I'm really keen on, uh, you know, basically, I don't have the big marathon swimming goals like for, you know, swimming the English Channel because that's, you know, quite polluted and very expensive. I'm, I'm more keen on having a really good adventure with a small group of, you know, like-minded people and seeing beautiful scenery. And I, you know, uh, I imagine I've never been there, but I imagine the Canyonlands in Utah and Colorado are pretty amazing to see. So I'd love to swim through that. And of course, probably do a hike or a run or mountain biking around there after as well to make it a triathlon. Wilderness triathlons. We didn't get much into that, but 
that's something that you uh, are also doing. And, and funny enough, I've done one as well. I did a just wilderness triathlon about, actually, this was about a year ago now. I can't believe it's been a year, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah, well, I mean, I call it triathlon tramping down here, or if I'm talking to someone outside of New Zealand, triathlon trekking, where, you know, like I say, marathon swimming, cycle touring and bike packing is something I'm big on because I love the adventurous aspect of that. And then, you know, alpine running or hiking to make it a triathlon. And because my wife is also a, she's not a swimmer, but she's a cycle tourist and a hiker. That's something that we can do as an adventurous thing together. Two out out of the three stages we can often do together. We swap out the swimming in lakes for uh, kayaking because (laughs) of the gators. There's too many gators. (laughs) Quite a few. uh, Yeah, that's one thing I won't do is um, I'm not interested in swimming with alligators or crocodiles in Australia. No, 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 no. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, like I said, in New Zealand, uh, there's nothing out there in the wilderness uh, that thinks you look like lunch. So that's one of the advantages we have down here. Mm. <laughs> well, Rob, I, I just want to say thank you for jumping on and thank you for telling us just about your experience, uh, Downriver Nomad. I, I would love to learn more about uh, this story. I actually placed an order already, so I'm looking forward to getting the book in a couple days. Okay. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to give this one a look because I, ju- I just think... Your story is so, it's so relatable. So many of us probably have the same amount of time off you do and probably have the same amount of uh, access that you do and you're making it happen and you're getting these adventures. And uh, and so many people that listen to the show are not aspiring to be professionals, but they want to have the highest quality adventure possible. And I, th- I think that that can be found absolutely anywhere. So thanks for being an example and telling us about it. Well, I really appreciate you having me on. I really hope you enjoy my book, and I hope some of your listeners uh, might enjoy my book as well. You can get some of the links. My website is adventuresoutsidethelanes.com, and there's links to buy uh, my book on most of the online book retailers there. And if you read it, I really appreciate it. hope you enjoy it, and feel free to reach out and tell me what you think. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. And until then, get out there and have some fun.